Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. This week, Associate Professor Marlene Westerveld talks about her research, spontaneous language sampling with children and adolescents, a research to practice update. Let's listen now. Hello and welcome to the Speak Up podcast. This is Marie Brown and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Associate Professor Marlene Westerveld. Marlene has been a practicing speech pathologist for 30 years and has extensive experience in working with children and adolescents with speech, language and reading difficulties. Marlene's research focuses on understanding the relationship between spoken and written language disorders with particular emphasis on the spoken language skills needed to participate in daily activities at home and at school. Hi Marlene and welcome to the Speak Up podcast. Thank you Mary. Marlene, you recently recorded a very successful webinar for us titled Spontaneous Language Sampling with Children and Adolescents from Research to Practice. So I thought it'd be a a terrific time to chat with you about this particular topic. So to begin with, can you tell us why you believe speech language pathologists should use spontaneous language sampling in their everyday practice? Yes, of course I can. I love this topic. It's one of my favorite um, topics. I'm more than happy to talk to you about this um, this afternoon. So yes, why should SLPs collect samples of spontaneous language? There are really three main reasons. Um, First is to confirm or complement our standardized test results. Um, The second one is um, for detailed analysis um, of a child's spontaneous language performance. So we want to have a nice baseline um, descriptive uh, description of baseline performance um, to inform goal setting for intervention. And the third one is really for progress monitoring. So underpinning um, all of that is that, let's consider the ICF. We may want to assess a child's um, impairment level So looking at body structures and functions, but really we need to consider how a child's language impairment actually affects their activity and and participation in everyday life activities. So with the rollout of the um, NDIS that has become increasingly important, um, we really need to look at the functional impact um, of a language disorder. And um, one good example is that if we had two children who um, we've administered a self um, and one child scores a standard score of 65 and the other child scores um, a core language score of 80. We really cannot predict based on those scores what the child's performance will be like in everyday situations at home or at school. So does that make sense? It does indeed, absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some of the issues to consider when using spontaneous language sampling um, and analysis? Yeah, so most um, speech pathologists will tell you that it's time consuming, right? It's time consuming to um, not so much to um, elicit a spontaneous language sample, because that may only take five or 10 minutes, but it's time consuming to transcribe and then analyze the language sample. So that is the first um, important factor to consider is how can we make our 
language sampling or language sample analysis as um, efficient as possible. So how do we do that? You know, we, ha we have um, lots of interesting conversations around this, but I think the most important factor is what is the aim of eliciting the language sample in the first place? So if we consider our aims for assessment and consider hypothesis-driven assessment, then think about what question do we want to answer? So for example, if um, we go back to our example of a child who has a standard score of 65 <laughs> on the self, mm. if, our, uh, if our question is around pragmatics, right? So whether the child is um, a good communicator in everyday situations, then we would want to elicit um, a spontaneous language sampling conversation. Mm. However, if we wanted to consider a child's performance at sort of that text level, so not at the word or sentence level, but at text level, then we would probably want to um, elicit a narrative sample or an expository sample. So straight away, the, the question you want answered is going to really um, direct the type of language um, sample you elicit. Now, of course, there are lots of other factors as well. One factor is age of the child. So for very young children, um, you wouldn't um, elicit a story retail sample, for example, because it's simply too difficult. Um, cognitive ability is another really important factor to consider. You know, we want to make sure that we make it difficult, but not too difficult for the child. Because if the child doesn't give you any spontaneous language, then really, um, there's nothing to analyze. Um, we need to think about curriculum requirements. What is important for that particular child at that particular um, time in his or her life? You know, if we are thinking of providing intervention, what is going to make this child a better communicator? And again, that leads back to our aim of language sampling. It is, is it to, um, for that child to retell a better story or is it for that child, for example, to share um, higher quality or more coherent personal narratives. Um, then, of course, another important factor is um, the availability of norms. So if our aim is to decide whether the child is significantly different from his or her peers, then just like any standardized language sample, we would want to elicit a spontaneous language sample that we can compare to norms. And there are some standardized tests available, like a test of narrative language or, um, um, oh, it's escaped me now, but there are some, some norm reference tests. Or what we could do is, of course, um, compare the language sample to some of the norms that have been um, integrated into SALT, so systematic analysis of language transcripts. Um, yeah, those are probably the main reasons. I can, I can go on, Marie. But it is really important to have an awareness of the issues that you may encounter when doing the spontaneous language analysis yeah, as a practicing right. speech pathologist. Yeah. So what I'm trying to get at here is that um, what we want to do is A, collect a sample in a situation that is relevant to the child's life. We want to then um, analyze that sample and um, transcribe it and do a detailed analysis. And that will really give us amazing information that no standardized test will ever give us. And then the beauty of that is that once we've provided a child with intervention, whether it's narrative intervention or 
um, pragmatic intervention or whatever type of intervention you um, feel is most appropriate for that child. You can then monitor progress following your intervention, again, in a context that is really relevant to that child's life. And hopefully um, we'll be able to determine then whether there's um, a generalization effect following your intervention. Fantastic. So, um, Marlene, you said at the beginning of this this uh, podcast interview that uh, spontaneous language sampling is a topic that you're particularly passionate about. And I also know that you are involved in a number of research projects. Are you able just to talk a little bit about some of the research projects that you're involved with, with regards in particular to spontaneous language sampling? Absolutely. Of course. I'll, I'll narrow it down a little bit. Um, so the first um, line of research that, we've, that I've been involved in for a long time now is just creating norms, creating norms of um, typical developments. And it's interesting, isn't it, that despite the fact that we feel we know so much about typical child language developments, um, that there are so few norms available for, you know, what children, um, the type of language kids give us in everyday um, speaking situations. So um, a lot of my research has focused on creating norms from kids between um, four years of age and adolescence in different um, contexts, including conversation, um, expository language, persuasive language, as well as personal narratives. So that is that sort of first um, line of, of research, if you like. Um, then my other um, interest has always been to look at um, comparing sampling conditions. So a good example is if we ask the child to retell a story, does it matter if we give the child picture or no picture during retelling? You know, does that affect the child's performance? In fact, it does. If we give the child pictures during retelling, then you probably get, um, you know, longer samples, but also you really give the child um, a scaffold for, um, especially if it's a narrative retell for um, sequencing the story. Um, we've also looked at, does it matter if we give the child comprehension questions before the retail or after the retail? So I'm just really interested to find out how children react to the way we prompt the kids, just like you would in um, any standardized um, assessment, really. Um, so then the third line of research has just been um, descript for descriptive purposes. So what we've done is we've, we've used standard protocols that we've used to create norms, for example, or that we've used to compare how kids respond um, with different population groups. Um, for example, children with Down syndrome, um, we've um, looked at their personal narrative skills, we've looked at children with autism spectrum disorder, we've looked at their um, story retelling skills and their personal narrative skills. Um, I'm currently involved in a project with Adil Wallace looking at adolescents with anxiety to see how they perform in personal narrative um, contexts. Um, and also we're interested, of course, in kids with reading disorder. How do they perform on tasks that are closely related to understanding that text level language, such as expository language? Um, Two more, if I may. <laughs> By all means. Yeah. We're also interested in intervention. So describing is nice and, um, this, and finding out that kids, you know, for example, who have Down syndrome really struggle in their personal narrative production skills um, is interesting. 
But of course, then we want to know, and that's the clinical um, speech pathologist in me, like, can we actually provide intervention and will it make a difference? So some of our research has um, focused on mainly the macro structure, so the overall um, quality of, for example, um, narratives in expository. And we've done that with um, teenagers with Down syndrome. I um, still have to write that up, so um, watch this space. Um, we've done a small-scale expository intervention for children or students with um, reading comprehension difficulties and found some lovely results for an um, expository intervention conducted by the speech pathologist um, with small groups of children. And um, one of my earliest research studies was around um, providing narrative intervention for children with reading disorders. So as you can see, um, yeah, really spontaneous language sampling um, and analysis have sort of underpinned most of the research projects that I've been involved in. You clearly are a wealth of uh, knowledge, Marlene, when it comes to this particular topic and you've done huge amounts of research in this area. If our listeners are wanting to learn more about spontaneous language sampling and analysis, where do you think is the best place to for them to head? So I've provided lots of um, ideas on how to elicit spontaneous language in um, the recent webinar that I've done. Um, but I'm also, you know, really happy for people to look at my website. So what I try and do is find evidence-based resources that um, are useful for clinicians um, to sort of um, to use in clinical practice to elicit spontaneous language. And also, um, although SALT, of course, is a um, for-profit company, um, which is Systematic Analysis of Language Transcripts, on their website, they have a really nice um, of bank of resources that clinicians can download for free. They have free training resources as well. So um, I really recommend um, people visiting that website to check that out as well. And my website is just my name, marlenewesterveld.com, and no financial interest there. Fantastic. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was just about to ask you um, how to search for your website. So um, it, you just it's www.marlenewesterveld.com.au. Would that be right? right. .com. That's it. Com. Fantastic. Nice and easy. Okay. Well, look, thank you so much, Marlene. And as I said in the introduction, your um, webinar has been extremely well received. So I really appreciate your time today in speaking with us um, and having a chat about this really interesting topic. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.